to Nathan and uh, this church. I am fulfilling one of my dream, uh, which is to be able to preach on a Sunday with flip-flops, because if it was good for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, also, uh, I want to, for those of you, if you are willing, those of you who've, who've served in the military, would you, would you stand? Uh, it is a veterans weekend. Um, I also want to, uh, if you have family members, uh, would you stand, uh, family members who serve in the military, so your kids, your grandkids, would you stand? Thank you for your service. Here's the one thing I, I learned. Uh, I'm in the Army Reserve as a chaplain for the last three years. One of the things that I'm learning um, it, it, as I'm serving in the military uh, is that it's not just that um, military personnel, it's the whole family that sacrifices, right? When all of a sudden some kind of training pops up or I have to go somewhere to a unit or I have to, uh, you know, step, uh, step away from dinner and get a call, have a conversation with a soldier, uh, it's the whole family that sacrifices. Uh, and so, as much as we in the military uh, get the thank you for your service, it's also the entire family that should receive the thank you as well. I wanna do uh, one more thing. Uh, I know Nathan prayed, but I wanna pray uh, the prayer that I got to pray about six years ago uh, for Nathan when he was being installed here as the lead pastor. Um, I don't know if you were there, I was probably the only Asian guy. Uh, and so if you were there, that was me that prayed. And I want to pray the, the, the prayer. I want to read to you the prayer that I, I pray because being here for the last few months, I feel like Nathan is stepping into perhaps the prayer that was prayed and leading towards uh, this prayer that I prayed. So this is, this is the prayer. Uh, this was the excerpt. Uh, from the prayer that I prayed in Nathan's installation service. We praise you that you have chosen Nathan to shepherd this church, for he and Jackie had been shepherded here. Now may this family live, in a, life, live a life of sacrifice, obedience, and compassion with this church, their friends. For the gospel is not one of impersonal, but personal. So to live deeper lives together, learning how to become friends as Christ dwells among them. May Nathan be a leader who not only gets things done, but is able to pay attention to what is going on. What God is doing in his life, his friend's life, in the life of the community. And to share that, to stand firm in doctrine and in relationship teaching people how to be honest and giving the freedom to be honest. May you give this congregation the gift of looking back, the gift of vision to come. May you continue to hit the right chord and the right rhythm with his friends. As I, and I ask that Nathan walk in his calling, that he would continue to fall in love with his bride, Jackie that she would find security first in you 
than in her husband, simply because of how Nathan cherishes her. May their children love you, not in spite of the fact that Nathan is a pastor, but because he is. Help your church to be encouraging, supportive to this family and all the families that make up this community of faith. For you have called us to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of your own possession, all so that we may proclaim who you really are, you who have called us out of darkness to your light. People bought by the blood of your son and empowered by the Holy Spirit, help us in this, we pray, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm telling you, you, we are so lucky to have Nathan and Jackie here in this church. I've been to many, many churches. I, I've been going to church since I was in my mom's womb. I'm telling you, you have one of the best pastors, hands down. He loves you as his dear family. I'm not just saying that. He literally said that about 35 minutes ago. When he and I, we were having that conversation. He loves you. You don't get that everywhere. So, Nathan, thank you. Brother, you are the right person for this congregation, this church, in such a time. Thanks, brother. Well, my name is Inho, uh, as Nathan said. Uh, I am a... I went to seminary. I went to ATS, Alliance Theological Seminary. Uh, I have a master's in divinity. Uh, after that, we went off to uh, British Columbia and did some ministry over there. And as we were about to have our second child, Kaylee, we came back and uh, did a, a church in Waterville. Uh, I was an English pastor uh, for a Korean-American church. And um, from there, we were going to uh, plant a church. I was going to plant a church. And I failed miserably. <laughs> uh, it didn't even go off the ground. We were talking about it. We were taking steps towards it. Uh, but uh, we failed. Uh, most, actually, most church plants fail. Uh, so I guess I can take uh, solace in that. Uh, after that failure, if you will, um, I needed a break. And so I went off and... and uh, learn how to drive a school bus. Uh, so I, I drove a school bus for a number of years. And now what I do is actually I am a transportation supervisor for Gilderland Central School. So I went from driving a bus and cleaning the bus to being sort of the supervisor. I, not sort of, I am the supervisor, all right? So if you want to learn how to drive a school bus, if you need a job, I need bus drivers, all right? So this is a, a recruit, recruitment, if you will. If you want to come all the way down to Gilderland, I am more than willing to uh, take the time and support you and teach you how to drive a school bus. And uh, as I was hitting my midlife, I had, I did, during my midlife crisis, I did two things. One of which I already told you, which is I became, I, I joined the, the armed forces. I, I'm a Army Reserve Chaplain, as I said, uh, with the four, uh, 413th out in Schenectady. Uh, we are combat sustainment unit, 
and uh, I am the battalion chaplain for 413. Uh, so time to time when I'm not here, I'm playing soldier <laughs> somewhere else. Uh, you know, the, sort of the recruiting thing is, oh yeah, it's one weekend a month and two weeks out of the year. <laughs> right, those of you who've served, it's never just one weekend a month, two weeks out of, out of the year. It's, there's always more training. There's always things that need to get done. Uh, and so we get called off and, and do that. So that's a little bit about me. My, I, I'm married to my wife for the last 21 years. I know I look really young. We were married when we were 10. It was an arranged marriage. By God, uh, you know, we have a son, Micah. I'm 17 and a daughter who's 10 years old who just walked in over there. <laughs> uh, so that's sort of who we are. Uh, but that being said, let's get back to why we're here. We're talking about this book, uh, Gentle and Lonely. And I had the privilege of getting chapter four. And it comes off of Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. And this is what the writer of the Hebrew says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then Outwoodland, the writer of uh, Gentle and Lowly, says this about the word sympathize. The word for sympathize here is a compound word formed from the prefix meaning with, join with the verb to suffer. Sympathize here is not a cool and detached pity. It is the depth of felt solidarity such as it echoed in our own life, mostly closely, closely only as a parent to a child. So what the writer is saying is, it's not sympathy as in the sense of sucks to be you, I'm so sorry for you, right? But sympathy, more, I guess the more proper or a better translation, or English translation would be compassionate, okay? That's actually, when you look at the Greek word, that's in essence what it is. It's because compassion in the sense, I am with you in this. I am with you in this pain, this suffering, right? Because the writer of the Hebrew is making the case here in chapter four that God, that Jesus Christ is this high priest. He's not just up there sort of on his, uh, you know, lazy chair watching Korean drama, all right? But he, he is here in the pit of the, of the dirt, if you will. He is hands-on. He is with you, right? Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I am with you, right? Right? I am with you. It's that's what this word means, sympathize. I'm titling our time together, Able to Sympathize, because that's the title of the chapter, right? Compassion. The fact that God is with me, the, God, the fact that God is with you is a lifeline. Back in 2005, 
when our young family was looking for a place to begin our ministry after Alliance Theological Seminary, Vancouver, British Columbia presented itself and it felt like for us, Micah was like one month old, and we felt like this was of God. But our little family had much to lose, right? It was going to be all the way in the far, far country of Canada, on the other side of the coast, where we had no family members and no friends. And so we were going to be away from grandparents. We were going to be away from aunts and uncles. But as we were thinking and praying through, we had three, so actually we have four criterias that, that we were thinking through. If was this really in fact of God, it had to meet these four, four requirements, if you will. It had to have a mentor. Like I had needed someone that I can go to and ask questions, right? Someone that would guide me, a shepherd me. I also needed a team. I, I couldn't be the solo guy, right, making everything happen. We had to be a team that shared values and shared dreams together. It also had to be multicultural and multi-ethnic because that represented our family, right? And we also wanted to be a place where people were hungry, where, where a group of people needed God. And at that time, back in 2005, Vancouver, British Columbia was the most unchurched city in North America, which, by the way, Capital District area is the most unchurched area in the United States as we speak, that being said. And it met these four criteria, uh, these, these four wishes, four buckets that we created. And so we decided to move. And let me tell you, you think, oh, Canada, no big deal. I'm telling you, when you got to move all your stuff, including your car, it's a foreign country. It, there's a lot of steps that you got to take, take into account. Okay. And it was, it was a bit, bit of a headache, if you will. But towards the end of the first year, some of the, the church leadership put together what we, was, what, we were, what we thought were imperatives, right? Things that we needed to change within the structure of our church, our, our sort of principles. That's one of the reasons why you will, we will have an annual meeting, right, after this service, because we go over the future, right? The vision, the dream, and how are we going to get there? And so whole year, the leadership of the church worked on this new structure that we were going to present to the congregation because the English congregation, it was a, a Chinese Canadian church, and there was an English congregation that was attached to it, very much like a youth, uh, youth group, so to speak. But it wasn't youth. It was fully-fledged adults. And so the leadership of the church believed that we had to be sort of two churches under one, two uh, two congregation, if you will, two churches under one roof. And so all year long, we're working. You know, I land and we're all of a sudden we're in it, right? And so we're changing our, our, 
our, our doctrines, if you will, uh, the church doctrines and, and so forth. And we've worked all year long. And so we put it to a vote and it, it, needed, to, it needed to have 75% uh, approval from the congregation to, for this bylaws to, to pass. And it got rejected. It got rejected by like 2%. And unbeknownst to me, the, uh, unbeknownst to us who were working towards this new bylaws, if you will, there were a number of elders, deacons, that were working actually counter, counter to it, right? On one face, they're like, yeah, we're for it, we're for it, we're for it. And then we find out later on, they're like, no, this sucks, this sucks, don't vote for it, right? That's what we found out. And it got... So beginning of, beginning of my second year, Ted, who was the mentor, took a six-month sabbatical. So bam, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be the youth pastor. All of a sudden, I'm thrusted to be the English congregation uh, pastor. And so I'm doing it. And we're like, okay, well, you know, at the beginning, we thought you thought you were, you were going to be here forever. Uh, but then when he comes back from his six-month sabbatical, he resigns. <laughs> and then... He's and 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 when he resigns, he decides to plant a church. Now, listen, I love Ted. I still love Ted. And when he decides to plant a church, the English congregation, majority of them, they all decide to sort of leave with it. So my second year here in Canada, right? I'm experiencing a church split, if you will. During that time, some of the elders pushed and got the senior pastor at that time to resign. And as the rest of the staff were picking up pieces, helping the church figure out what the root cause of this dysfunction was, some people engineered a return of a former senior pastor without even telling the, the staff, right? Didn't tell me, didn't tell the, the Chinese, to the two Chinese uh, assistant pastors. So the three of us, we were in the dark and all of a sudden it just, the board tells us, hey, the former senior pastor is coming. You're going to have to work under him. Not only that, but they tell me that my role has changed. And so it gives me a new sort of responsibility. Here you go, Hill. This is what you need to do. No consultation. And then a few weeks after that, I'm playing basketball. Oh, because I'm a baller. I'm just kidding. On <laughs> my seventh game in a row, I rupture my Achilles tendon. And I'm, I'm in this stinking boot for like six months. Right? I got the crutches and all this stuff. And our landlord puts the house that we were renting up for a sale. So now we got to figure out where we're going to live. Margie resigns because she was driving all the way to Washington to work, and it was an hour and a half one way. And it was just too far for, for me, for Micah, right? It, it, just, it was just too crazy. And I'm contemplating resigning my ministry's responsibility. And to top it all off, my mom in Chicago is in and out of the hospital and later on passes away. I'm telling you, that was one of the hardest plane ride I've ever been on. 
as I say goodbye to my mom who was in the hospital, ICU, and I knew in the depth of my soul that this was gonna be my last time seeing my mom alive. But I had to get on the plane to, to go back to Vancouver to be with my wife and my son and the congregation. I mean, I wept like a baby on the plane. I mean, full out. <laughs> you know, like the Korean drama, the ladies in the Korean drama. Does anybody watch Korean dramas? Is it? Oh, all right. In the, oh, hey, I got two of you. All right. You're my brother. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Where the ladies crying, I mean, I was full on crying, and the guy was watching a movie. It was like one of those blow up, shoot him up kind of movie, and he was probably thinking, "What is wrong with this guy?" Right? But but I knew that was that was my last time seeing my mom um, alive uh, for the last time, and so I was weeping. I mean, the stress meter was in the red for some time. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Writing to the Corinthian, Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the providence of Asia. There's always problems in Asia. I don't know why. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Have you ever been there? Far beyond your ability to endure. So that we despaired of life itself. The word picture of despair is this boulder that sits on top of your chest. Have you ever been there where you feel like, man, I can't even breathe. How am I going to get through? I am suffering. Why would God allow Paul, the greatest evangelist to go through, right? The person that wrote more than half of New Testament, right? To go through trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sore. Why would he allow that? Well, Paul answers that in the next verse. Verse 9, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. A deeper reality to a place where we have no other way but to depend on God. Perhaps the reason why we are suffering why we are going through the pain and the aches of our heart is so that we find ourselves that we find on God with witness because he's walking with us. He is 
in this passage, there are three lettuces because it's healthy. Okay. Got, got that? Lettuce? Okay. All right. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like that. Three lettuces. Okay. Let us. First, verse 11, and these are the imperatives, if you will. These are the applications, if you will. These are the takeaway from the writer of Hebrew for us. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What is the uh, uh, writer of the Hebrew saying in this passage? The writer of the Hebrew is saying, don't be lazy. He's saying, be active in your spiritual life. Take ownership of your relationship with God. He's saying, let's go. You know how sports, right? Like before the game happens, there's all this smoke and, and the, the football players all like, you know, hyped up and, and they run through that, right? Game hasn't, the game's not going to start for another like 30 minutes, right? Because they got commercials, right? But they're amped up. The writer of Hebrews is saying, let's go. This is your spiritual life. Come on, take ownership of it. Here's what Henry now says in his book, In the Name of Jesus. The central question is, are the leaders of the future truly men, we're looking for a few good men here, and few good women of God, people with an ardent desire to dwell in God's presence, to listen to God's voice, to look at God's beauty, to touch God's in incarnate word, and to taste fully God's infinite goodness. Dealing with burning issues without being rooted in deep personal relationship with God easily leads to divisiveness. I need you to hear this, right? I need you to hear this. Dealing with burning issues without being rooted in a deep personal relationship with God easily leads to divisiveness because before we know it, our sense of self is caught up in our opinion about a given subject. But when we are securely rooted in a personal intimacy with the source of life, it will be possible to remain flexible without being relativistic, convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, and true witnesses without being manipulative. Do we or do we not need this? in our time today with inflation with gas prices at four dollars a gallon right with shortage of staff with the pandemic with war rumors of war happening everywhere do we not need people who remain flexible without being relativistic, convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, and true witnesses without being manipulative. Right? First is 
Let's go. <laughs> right? Let's go about your spiritual life. Second lettuce, because it's healthy for you, is in verse 14. Since then, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Do you know the pillars of our faith? What your foundation is? Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know the Lord's Prayer? Do you know the Beatitudes? And yes, my God, the Sermon on the Mount. It's a joke because I love Sermon on the Mount. So whenever I get a chance, I preach on it. <laughs> so, you know, we talked about it. So there it is, buddy, right? Because storm is coming, right? Storm is coming. Whether you want it or not, storm is coming. And in that chaos, are you going to be able to be rooted and face that storm? And when there is chaos, can you bring peace into that situation? into your workplace, into your school, into your home, and into your community, and into your church. Why will the storm be coming? Because this is a broken world. It is not the best of all possibility because we human are sinful and we try to proclaim ourselves as the Savior in our life. And if you've lived at least admit it in your life, you know that. You know that. Third letters, verse 16. Let us stand with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, this throne is not a throne of judgment. Jesus our high priest isn't going to be sitting on the throne and say, you stink, you suck, but I'm going to love you anyway. <laughs> no, he's saying, come, be with me. I, Jesus sees us through his stained blood of Christ on the cross. David Collin, who's a missiologist in Vancouver, writes this. Here lies our common ground. We are all uniquely broken. Our brokenness, the place where we hurt, the deep struggles and questions of our lives are part of the defining qualities that shape us. Our unique ability and the humble wisdom that results from our time of brokenness brings clarity to our life's purpose. Our deepest currents are formed in our most painful experience. They can leave us hard and bitter, or they can birth a deep passion for brokenness of others. Brokenness, too, is God's gift to me. Not the evil that thrived upon my ruin, but rather the flame that merges from the ashes. He makes all things new. He changes what was intended for evil and molds it into beauty. Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19, 19 through 30, there is this, you know, there's the doubting Thomas, right? 
And Thomas says, oh, I'm not going to believe Jesus that he's alive until I touch my fingers, you know, with all the holes that Jesus has. I, that's bad paraphrasing. This is what it says. Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. That's what Thomas says. And this is the amazing thing. Christ met with Thomas after the resurrection. And his body bore the scars of that crucifixion. Think about it. Why wasn't the risen Lord in a perfect and whole body? All right, why does he, why does he leave holes in his body? It was because he was able to minister through his scars. And so are we. Everyone has scars and wounds from our journey of life. We usually choose to hide those blemishes from others and even tries to ignore them ourselves. But God's grace empowers us to preserve through our journey with all of its roadblocks, the bombs, the setbacks, the detours. And we can share the stories beyond our scars in hopes that we can minister through that. Why? Because the high priest, Jesus Christ, is with us. One who has the scars. One who ministers through his scars so that we too be with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for God who asks us, will we be able to sympathize with others? Will we be bitter and angry? Or will we, like you, embrace the gospel, the good news, the hard times, the suffering, the pain, the scars, for others. Help us in this. Christ, we pray.